scripture reading for this morning is out of Hebrews chapter 11, verses 1 through 6. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. By faith Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts and his faith Though he died, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found, because God had taken him. Now, before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God without faith. It is impossible to please him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. This is the word of the Lord. Be you can go ahead and be seated, church. Thank you for that, brother. Praise the Lord. Uh, I'm just here to tell you, if you guys want a really, really, really good adrenaline rush, uh, you can baptize someone at a different campus and then try to make it in here by the time you preach. So if I'm out of breath, I just got here in time. Praise the Lord for that. And uh, I'll publicly repent for the, the, the breaking of the laws I did to get here of running red light speeding, all those different things. Uh, so deputy, uh, my bad. Uh, don't write me a ticket. Uh, but if you're, I'm glad you're here today. It's a privilege and honor to be here to open the word with you. If you would, keep your Bibles open to Hebrews chapter 11. We're starting a new series today entitled By Faith, where we're going to journey together through, honestly, one of the most encouraging chapters in all the Bible. Hebrews 11 is a journey that we'll take through the summer to examine what the people of God should look like as they live through faith. The word faith is mentioned in the book of Hebrews 31 different times. And you know, we, you always hear around here, repetition is key. Uh, if, there's, if the author is placing the same word or the same sentence or the same language over and over and over again, they're trying to draw your attention to something. They're trying to put importance on a certain aspect now, again, let me remind you, faith is mentioned 31 different times in the book of Hebrews, but in chapter 11, it is mentioned 24 of the 31 different times. So I think we can easily say that this chapter is really emphasizing faith, and that's why we're going to journey through it and unpack it. Every single person, if you think about this, every single person in this room and in this world has faith. Whether they know it or not, they have faith. There was a, a debate that took place between a Christian and an atheist. Uh, shocker, right? Uh, those things often happen. Uh, but during the debate, the atheist is like slamming this Christian for believing in things simply based upon faith. And what he ends up doing is, is coming up, getting on the microphone and says, I don't have faith, I have confidence. Well, I don't know if the atheist did his research, uh, did a word study, all those different things. So when he went and sat back down, the the Christian came up to the mic and said, uh, I, I don't have faith, I have confidence. Well, we get the word confidence from Latin confide, which means with faith. So <laughs> the million dollar question here is what do you have faith in? You have faith, but today as you sit in this seat, uh, what do you have faith in? Where are you placing your faith? 
You're either a person who has faith in the emptiness of the world, the false gods of the world, or you have faith in the one true God, Jesus Christ. Now, I understand both of these things are jockeying for position in your life. The world wants to draw your attention. Christ wants to draw your attention. But only one of these things can be true. Both of these things will influence the way that you live your life, the way that you uh, serve one another, the way that you love one another, the way that that you treat people. It will dictate decisions that you make. But only one of them is right and If we're honest, if you look back to the book of Genesis, this isn't a new concept, right? The enemy has a history of trying to draw our eyes away from the truth. He tried to debunk or twist or uh, uh, miss, uh, change our understanding of the way that we see the word of God. His attempt is to disprove real faith found in God's word. Now, faith, it is a powerful thing that changes people, right? Like when I came to know the Lord, things changed in my life. When I had faith in, in, in false gods and false things, things changed in my life. I made decisions based upon the thing that I had faith in. Habakkuk 2 verse 4 says, The righteous shall live by his faith. Our faith moves us to action. Our faith moves us to action. This is what opened the eyes of, of Luther to the doctrine of justification by faith alone. And when a whole group of people began to understand that you are saved in grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, this Protestant Reformation boomed forth because people no longer had to work and do things for salvation. And now James says faith without works is dead, right? But what this passage is not saying, church, is that you have to work for God to love you. The young man that um, I was able to baptize, his name is Landon. He's a football player at Rockville. He had this same issue. As we sat down in my office and we were conversating and we were talking, he was doing all of the right things. He was doing everything he could to fight the sin in his life. He was rearranging his schedule to be at church on Sunday mornings and Wednesday nights. He was uh, in his small group. He was engaged in all those different things. He was engaged with the word. But there was a sentence in there that he said to me, that hinges on everything. He said, I'm doing all of these different things in hopes that God would save me, and if I can get good enough at them, he will finally love me. And we had to go through this very concept here of like, no, you are saved by faith alone in Christ alone. All of the things that James is talking about here of your your faith being dead without works is that works come out of my faith. I am a follower of Jesus. I have been redeemed by Christ, so therefore I fight to read the word. Therefore I fight to gather with the body of Christ. Therefore I fight my sin every single day. These flow out of the redeeming work of Christ, not for the redeeming work of Christ. Your faith changes everything, right? Think about the chair you're sitting in for a moment. Did any of you, when I came up here and said, sit down, did you think about that chair? No, you just sat down. All of you did. There's not one person in this room standing other than me and RC in the back, right? You understand and had faith that chair would hold you. You didn't check the welds on it. You didn't kind of give it a good shake to make sure it was sturdy. No, you had faith. So therefore, that faith took action and you sat down. When you behold Christ for who he truly is, what his word tells you he is, 
and you understand it, you begin to say, okay, I don't, I have faith that he will save me. I have faith that he will guide me. I have faith that he will never leave me nor forsake me. I have faith that he will come again to make all things right, although it may not be awesome right now. You have faith because he is who he says he is. And with that being said, today our goal is to look at what real faith is and how it produces righteousness in our lives. So look back at your Bible here for a moment. I want to reread verses 1 through 3, and we're going to discuss some different things from it as we look at real faith. It says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things uh, not seen, for by it the people of old received their commendation. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. You see, these verses, these first three verses, give us a a partial definition of faith. It's being sure of what you hope for and certain of what you don't see. We all have heard the age-old quote from Edgar Allan Poe, believe nothing you hear and only half of what you see, which I think that quote can make sense to a lost and confused and dying world because they have to be skeptical of everything that they see. But, church, biblical faith isn't wishful thinking. I, don't have, I believe everything that I read, and I, I believe everything that I see, the testimony in people's lives, the word of God becoming true, because the, the substance of our belief is not the opinions of men. It is the word of God. Think about it this way. Let's say R.C. comes down here after I get done preaching. And he comes up on stage and he says, I'm going to give all of you who have a perfect attendance for the next year a million dollars. Hey, praise the Lord. <laughs> but, but y'all really going to believe that? Y'all know this man ain't got a million dollars. You know he ain't got it. But let's say, because his, his, <laughs> by faith, amen, he's got it. But let's say Jeff Bezos comes in here. Y'all don't know him, but you know he got a lot of money. And he comes in and says the same thing, and R.C. gives him the backing of, yes, he'll give you a million dollars. Praise the Lord. You're going to have more faith. Y'all be lining up at that door, fighting for the front row for the seat for the next year, all right? Because you know this man's got tons of money. He's got, he sneezes and a million dollars comes out. It's not a big deal to him. His word is backed up by what he has done and what he has. This is why we can believe God when we read his word. He has an undefeated track record. He has made promises and fulfilled all of them. And when he comes again, he will make all things right. He has made that promise. So when I look back at the word of God, I need not question his faithfulness on if he's telling us lies or if he's telling us the truth because what he has said has come to pass. So based upon his word, I can believe and know He is telling the truth. I can have faith in him. Augustine said, faith is to believe what we do not see. And the reward of this faith is to see what we believe. So let me ask you a question, church. Were you there when Jesus was crucified? Were you there when God created the world? The answer is absolutely not. But we can look back on the word of God and know that he has done all those things. He has been crucified. 
He has been buried and he has risen, offering to all of those who would come to him eternal life. And again, we can know we can be redeemed by Christ based upon all of the things that he has done through faith we can believe without a shadow of a doubt. You see, this is the thing that sets Christian faith apart, far above the things of the world. Because like I said a moment ago, the substance of our faith is not the opinions of men or a working of ivory tower scholars at Harvard. No, we are believing the word of God. He has built our faith. He is the cornerstone. We stand upon him for our faith. The founder and perfecter of our faith, the word says. So if you don't hear anything else for the rest of the sermon, I'm not going to be upset at you, but I want you to catch this, all right? Listen to me. You can believe what God says. When you read his word, it is true. The very Bible that many of us hold in this room, it is inerrant, meaning it is without error. It is perfect. And this is how God has chosen to reveal himself to us. So as we read it, as we study it, as you do this in groups, as you do this on your own, as you do this on a Sunday morning, we can believe the full counsel of the word of God. Hebrews 11 is filled with people who did that. Hebrews 11 is filled with people who believed God at his word and lived like that. The word of God built in them strong convictions. And those convictions, through their faith, changed the way that they live. Is the word of God changing the way that you live? Is your faith in Christ changing the way that you live? We don't get these strong convictions because we think there's a chance that God's promises were true. But because we are certain that they are true. And what he said will come to pass. So I want to examine with the rest of our time together, not only did I come in on two wheels, but y'all going to get a shorter sermon today, amen? <laughs> but let's like look at verse 4 with me for a moment. It says, by faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous. God commending him by accepting, commending him by accepting his gifts and through, the, through his faith, Though he died, he still speaks. Pause there for a moment. Abel uh, and Enoch, if you went on to read the rest of that verse, Enoch, uh, man, he, he was a person who walked with God. So Abel and Enoch are fantastic examples of people trusting the Lord. People trusting the Lord. But I want you to notice, neither one of them were commended for their perfect character. They weren't commended because they did things right all of the time. They were commended for their faith. But if you don't know, Cain and Abel were the first two sons of Adam and Eve. Cain was a farmer, Abel was a shepherd, and they came to offer a sacrifice to God as they were commanded to do. But there was a problem with one of the sacrifices. Now, the problem wasn't the quantity, it was the heart behind the way that it was sacrificed. You see, all throughout all of Scripture, God is more concerned with your heart than he is concerned with the amount of things that you offer, right? 
He's not more, more pleased with someone who can offer to the Lord millions of different things versus someone who can offer one or two different things if the heart is laid down at the feet of Jesus. We offer what we can offer. We bring what we can bring. We use our talents the way that we can use our talents, all of those different things. We lay them before Christ for him to use them, but it's about our heart, the posture of our heart in that offering. This is why God rejected Cain's sacrifice but accepted Abel's. You see, Cain was going through the motions, right? He's doing the bare minimum. Cain wanted to please God by just getting through by the skin on his teeth. By getting through by the skin on his teeth. He, got, he, he pleased God the way I got through college, okay? Just by the skin on my teeth. He even asked the question like, what, what's my duty? What do I have to do to please you? You know, this, we just had Mother's Day. And if, if the, the children or the husbands, if you haven't came through and, and asked, what do I have to do to please you on Mother's Day? You think mamas would have felt loved? No, that house would have been turned upside down. <laughs> All right? No, we want to come to the Lord. And we want to be like Abel who offered everything that he could. He sacrificed to honor the Lord in all that he could. He didn't skimp on by. He gave everything and lived a life pleasing to God. Church, this is the same exact battle that we have today. Will you choose to be here once a month because your schedule is too busy? Or will you rearrange your schedule to make priority gathering with the bride of Christ? Will you walk out of these doors every now and then and put a 20 to tip in the box on the wall? Or will you rearrange your budget in order to tithe and give to the Lord what is commanded? Will you skimp on reading the word of God because you're just too tired? Because you stayed up too late with your friends? Or... Will you get up early and fight the temptation to stay in bed and get up and spend time with the word of God? I believe if you want to see the, the, the degree, of faith, degree of faith you have, take a, 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 a census of your obedience to God. That will reveal to you where you have faith. Do you truly have faith in God or do you have faith in the things of the world? Do you regard God as worthy? Worthy of your time? Do you regard God as worthy of your efforts? Do you regard God as worthy of your money? Do you regard God as worthy of your family? Do you regard God as worthy of your life? Or do the commands of God seem burdensome to you? Or do you think you'll be able to just scoot on by by doing just enough? When you fail him, because we all will, when you fall short of the glory of God, does it break your heart? Does it bother you? Or do you just make excuses and say, he'll understand? Examine your obedience, because you see, Abel had a great faith, and it cost him to be obedient, and he found it worthy of the cost to honor the Lord. And his faith carried on to many generations after him, including Enoch, who was the seventh generation after Adam. And although the Bible doesn't say a whole lot about him, it says this in Genesis 5.24. It says, Enoch walked with God. 
and he was not, for God took him. I think if I had a one-liner about me in the Bible, I think I would want that to be it, right? Like, those four words, Enoch walked with God, are the picture-perfect image for a righteous life. Church, let me ask you, do you walk with God? Are you desiring closely to walk with the creator and sustainer of life? Or do you look at him and say, you don't know what you're doing. I will be the God of my own life and I will have faith in whatever I want to have faith in. I want to warn you today, that is not the way to go. The way that we should strive for is to walk with God. Because he is the way, the truth, and the life, right? No one gets to the Father except through him. So our faith, if it is found anywhere outside of Jesus, is placed wrongly. Have faith in Jesus and walk with God. I'm not asking, and he is not asking, that you walk in perfection with him. Now, I don't know Enoch, but I promise you he didn't walk in perfection. Because that's why we need a Savior, right? That's why we need the blood of Jesus to forgive our past, present, and future sins. It's because we cannot walk perfectly. But are you striving? Are you fighting to walk with God? Tim Keller, who is a beloved pastor, theologian, and Christian apologist who recently died of cancer, is quoted as saying this, it's not the strength of your faith, but the object of your faith that saves you. My faith may not be the strongest, but I've placed my faith in the right one. Is your faith placed in Jesus? He will shine forth in your weakness and in your failures, and give you grace where you need it. But we must walk. We must desire through the Holy Spirit and through the power of God to honor him with our lives. And as we walk through this series over the summer, you're going to see people who are not perfect. The Bible is riddled with people who are not perfect, but yet found favor in God. Think, think about Jesus on the cross for a moment. Who was up there with him? Thieves. One of them found favor in God because he had faith. The other one did not because he did not have, or he had faith in the wrong thing. The thief on the cross didn't know anything. Alistair Begg, who's a pastor, went on this spiel talking about how like, the thief on the cross didn't have, go to a Bible study. He didn't know the doctrine of justification. He didn't know any of that. Listen to me. He just had faith in Jesus, and that is all that's required to be saved by God and then live in obedience to him out of your faith, out of your salvation. It's not going to be perfect, and you're not going to honor him 100% of the time. And the faith that you have will grow if you dedicate yourself to the word of God, if you gather with the bride of Christ, your faith will grow, but it's going to take time. It's going to take time. It's not going to be easy, right? The, the, the narrow road that we walk with Christ on is not one of sunshines and rainbows. If you look back through his word, 
you see what has happened to disciples of Jesus. They had great faith. Life was still hard. They were persecuted for their beliefs. Again, you have to count the cost. My faith to Christ is worth anything that would come my way. And we will walk hand in hand with him, one foot in front of the other, in hopes to honor him in all that we do. My faith should then dictate the way I interact with sickness in my life. Now, I can't explain to you why giants of our faith, people who have been redeemed by God, die from cancer. I can't explain to you why people who love God die unexpectedly as they prepare for church. I can't explain to you that. But what I can't explain to you is that God is sovereign. And he knew that that would happen. And he has a purpose for it all. We might not be able to see it. That's why Proverbs 3, 5 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding." My life is in the hands of the maker of heaven and earth. And he is able and willing and deserves the right to dictate how I live my life. He made it. So we can live by faith knowing that the will of God will be done in our life. It may not always be beautiful, but he is. But the depth of faith that that takes to walk is deep, right? We see a lot of people who, who walk away from the faith when something uh, terrible happens in their life. Now, we would believe that they're not, we're never of the Lord, but the different soils and the different paths that the seed would fall on, the things would grow up and around them and strangle them out, and they would walk away from the Lord. It's a shame. It's also a shame that there are people who are saved at a very young age who die with the same amount of faith that they had when they were saved. Parents, grandparents, don't allow yourself to be stagnant in your faith. The next generation needs your wisdom, they need your knowledge. They need your godly compassion and direction. But you cannot give that to them if you are not growing in your faith in and of yourself. Dedicate yourself to the word of God. We have Bible reading plans for you. We have a plethora of those. And I would encourage you in that. When you dedicate yourself to the word, do it in community. Do not read the Bible in isolation. Get some families, get some friends that you're going to walk with for a season of time to read the word of God so that way you can hold each other accountable. That way you can mutually encourage one another in your walk. And that way you can ask questions. You're not designed by God to live in isolation. That's exactly what the enemy wants. 
We are designed by God to live in community with one another. So I plead with you. I plead with you. Do life in community. Get into a group and get into the word and dedicate yourself to knowing and loving Jesus all the days of your life. All the days of your life. But I also know that there are people in this room who don't have faith in Jesus. They don't love him. They don't live for him. They don't want anything to do with him. And I want you to know if that's you, you're believing in a false God who can do nothing for you. You're believing in a lie. And I know when I discover that I've been lied to, it's heartbreaking. It's difficult. But here's the thing. I want you to know that you're being lied to in hopes to believe the one truth that you can hang your hat on that of the God of the Bible. That the only way that you can get to heaven is through faith in Christ, is by repenting of your sin and placing faith in Jesus. See, repentance, it's a 180 degree turn. Right, so I'm, I'm living my life of sin. I'm, I'm chasing after the, the things not of God. I'm chasing after the world. And when God moves and stirs in you, which I hope he is doing through his word, draws you, you turn away from those things and begin to walk towards God. Your repentance is pivotal. Repent of your sin and place your faith in God and lay your life down at his feet. You're not a good king and you're not a good queen. You're a terrible God of your life. I'm a terrible God of my life. When I fight God to take hold of my life, bad things happen. But when I lay my life down at his feet and I'm close to his word, my faith exponentially grows. And when curveballs come my way, when hardships come my way, as I'm living in community, God bolsters my faith through brothers and sisters in Christ, through my pastors, through the word of God. We must live by faith. So if you are in this room and you do not know Jesus, I plead with you, place your faith in him today. Believers, live in such a way that grows your faith. Examine Abel and know that he is worthy, God is worthy of whatever sacrifice you must make to live faithfully to him. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we love you. Uh, We are amazed at your grace, awestruck at your beauty. We're thankful for your word, that it is perfect, that it is true, that it is inerrant and without that it is without error. We praise you that as we read it, it molds us more and more into the image of your son. God, today, I pray and plead that you would save those who don't know you. That they would understand that they have placed their faith in things that can do nothing. Nothing. 
The thing they need to place their faith in is you. And Father, for the believer, I plead that they would fight to grow their faith. That they would know that we have a stakehold in the process of sanctification, looking more like you, God. And that as they fight to be in your word, they fight to be with the church, they fight to be in community, God, you would bless them with their, your presence. They would see and know and taste that you are good. And they would live a life that honors you no matter the cost. Not one of perfection, but one of dedication. Solely to you, King Jesus. We love you. We adore you. It's in your master's name we pray. Amen.